Namo tasa bhagavato alahato samasambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato alahato samasambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato alahato samasambuddhasa Kanti paramangtapo titika that's usually the tradition in in some Buddhist countries. Before you give a talk, you have some gata or some phrase which is well known as an indication of what you're going to talk about. And that is uh, from the Awadapati Moka, it's in the Dhammapada, it's a very famous line, that kanti, whatever this thing is, is the one of the highest of the spiritual is is the highest of the spiritual practices. And for me, when I was a young monk in Thailand, I was I had the impression that kanti meant like physical endurance, like asceticism, like austerity, as if it was you had to endure things and grit your teeth and sit through pain and just uh, endure you know, sleep, sleeplessness, you know, by just trying to not to sleep too much and uh, forget about the mosquitoes, just sit there and just uh, go without sleep once a week, one day a week. And all that sort of stuff, I thought that was what Kanti meant. But you know, later on, when you started to look at uh, Pali and get to understand some of the connections, I always you know, started to, uh, to see that you know, Kanti was linked to you know, Kamati. I mean, you, for those of you who know your Pali, that when we say do ordinations, you know that part of the motion of three announcements, Kamati Sangasa, Tasamatunhi, Eramaitang, Darayami, is the Sangha is not enduring the ordination. They're not just putting up with that candidate, you know, coming into the monastic life. Oh God, here he is, but I've got to be, you know, patient endurance of this guy. It's not that, it's like an approval. It's something much softer, much more beautiful, much more kind even. And when we take something like patience and understand it as not just endurance, but something very different, it opens up another huge area of you know, what we should be aware of and understand in monastic life and also in our meditation practice. Because... It's not just enduring, you know, having to wait for everybody to get up, you know, after the meal. It's not just enduring, having to do your duties, you know, sweeping or cleaning the toilets, whatever job you have to do. It's not just enduring, you know, having an old body which gets sick or a young body which gets sick. Sickness doesn't always choose the old ones, it sometimes takes the young ones instead, which is really weird, but that's the way sickness goes. But sometimes we do have to have unpleasant sensations. And that was the first part of this thing called kamati. It's not just gritting your teeth and bearing with. It's almost like consenting to them, letting them be allowing them space in your mind to exist, not just trying to get rid of them, wanting them to be different, even wanting them to be changed. But the whole idea of consenting to them, 
agreeing to them, to be able to have agreeing to the disagreeable, is what Kanti is. So what we're doing is actually we're changing our attitudes and changing our perceptions. And of course, for some of the very uh, disagreeable feelings which we have to endure for time to time, like me having to have my photograph taken again <laughs> after the meal. <laughs> that sometimes, you know, that you just change your attitude to it. Instead of, and there's nothing painful about having your photograph taken. Maybe smiling is a bit painful after another hour of you know, stretching my, my <laughs> especially at you know, th those times when you really have a lot of photographs to take, like at my birthday celebration at the Hyatt a couple of weeks ago. That was a bit sort of aching on my corners of my mouth after all that smiling in public to raise funds for the, <laughs> for the huts. It's amazing what you have to do to raise funds these days. <laughs> stretching your mouth but <laughs> it's not just enduring gritting your teeth it is actually changing the perception to have it agreeable and you all know the story of the two arrows the mental arrow and the physical arrow the physical arrow the aches and the pains of life you know the hay fever the colds the uh, injuries the back pain, the knee pain, the head pain, the butt pain, the neck pain, every pain there is, you know, I've had it. and You probably have it too. If you haven't had it yet, it's coming. But whatever pain it is, you know, you have to just change your attitude to it. So the physical pain is one thing. That's the physical error, the mental error. How are you dealing with it? And instead of fighting a battle which you can't win, which is crazy stuff. Instead, we make peace with it. We're kind, we're gentle with it. Make peace, be kind, be gentle. We allow it to be, which means we change our attitude to it. We agree to the disagreeable. And of course, that means the disagreeable becomes agreeable, simply because that's our attitude to it. So even though it's an ache of pain, sometimes very intense, it's no problem anymore, because we've taken away the mental arrow of I don't want. And this is one of the great things about patience. It doesn't mean you enjoy your, it's hard work. It doesn't mean you're gritting your teeth. It doesn't mean it's unpleasant. It means you change your attitude and you find the whole ball game changes. That becomes one of the first parts of patience which we learn. Just the physical pain uh, unpleasant uh, feelings, unpleasant events in life, not getting what we want. That all of that stuff which happens in life, that what patience is, is changing our attitude to it. In other words, we say this is part of life, this is part of the monastery. We make mistakes, I make mistakes. And instead of finding that disagreeable, we find mistakes agreeable. We have patience towards them. We consent to them. We consent that people will say things we'd rather not hear. We consent that some people, I don't know, they're so stupid, and I tell a really funny joke and they don't even get it. I mean, I can't understand that, but, you know, but I'm agreeable to it after a while. <laughs> so, so this is where we change our attitude. Now that is Kanti. 
changing your attitude towards life. And because what that does, that means that there's so many things you can't control in life, the hay fever season, it's cold when you want it to be hot, you wash your robe when it rains, uh, whatever else happens to you in your life which goes wrong, you accept it. You agree to the fact that life is out of control. Your body is out of control. It belongs to nature. Nature belongs to nature. You can't predict it. You can't do anything with it except just agree to it and work with it rather than always being working against it. And that is one of the first parts of Kanti, but that's not the main area which I wanted to focus on. Because the main part of Kanti which I wanted to focus on is not just the changing of attitude and perceptions to unpleasant feelings, but changing your attitude towards pleasant feelings as well. <laughs> because we also have to have this just consent to pleasant feelings, to accept them, that this is part of life, and don't think something's wrong because I'm enjoying myself. Which is a strange thing for me to say, but for lots and lots of people brought up in, in the West, or trained in Western culture, it is as if you are not allowed to be happy. And if you really are happy, there must be something wrong. There's so many other people suffering in this world, hungry, you know, no home, in the cold, dying of Ebola virus or whatever else, that we don't deserve to be happy. So if happiness ever comes, please endure it <laughs> with patience. Consent to it, because that's part of the path. You see this whole idea of consenting when we talk about you know, patient endurance, consenting to things, is actually allowing them to come into your mind. The door of my heart is open. You're consenting them to come in to the happiness and to the pain as well. And this is beautiful accepting of things rather than controlling them. Because a lot of times that when we control pain by trying to get rid of it, we also end up controlling happiness as well. And we get rid of that too. Anything to show that we're in charge. Which is why we want to get rid of it. Just to show that we're in charge. So, so we can get rid of it. Weird, but true. So just to let things be. To let go of control. To let go of being in charge means we just consent. We let it be. We agree to this process of the Eightfold Path which we're involved in. And instead of uh, always changing it, calling the shots, making it different, we just agree to the process happening. And if you can start to do that, you understand that happiness can come, and it can come as long as it likes. When it goes, it goes. You agree to everything. So if you are meditating... If you have sloth and torpor, agree to it. What do we mean there? You let it be. You open the door of your heart to it. Instead of trying to get rid of it. It's a trying to get rid of it, which is the problem. And many, many people, they've followed the advice. It's strange advice if you're sleepy. Just let the body do what it needs to do. Let the brain dull out if that's what it needs to do. Be agreeable to that. Because this is a process, a natural process, which is just, you know, the energies are low, the brain is uh, just turning off a little bit, the mindfulness is low, you're dull. It's a natural process. Agree to it. 
Because if you agree to it, you find out that the energy comes back because you're not wasting energy and you wake up, you become very clear. When you let things be, things happen. It's a weird thing, but we always have this this underlying assumption, if we don't do stuff, if we don't make it happen, if we don't get rid of the faults and you know, put in good stuff, that everything will go wrong. And it takes a lot of courage, a lot of canty, patience, sort of to agree, to consent to this process and just let it happen. And you find when you don't make it happen but you let it happen, things go much better, much more smoothly, and all of the things which are promised to you in monastic life, everything which the Eightfold Path says it's going to give you, it comes when you just let it happen, rather than make it happen. And letting it happen again, open the door of your heart to this process, be agreeable to it, is Kanti. And another part of Kanti which... Uh, again, I wanted to focus on uh, this evening, is a lot of times that we are impatient. And that is the opposite of Kanti. Kanti is sometimes called patience, agreeing to this process and also agreeing to it working out in its own time rather than according to your schedule. And I think you all know that sometimes we all have our schedules of what we should do and when it should happen, we all know just when the hermit's house should have been started. But it doesn't get started according to our schedule. Even the builder's schedule sometimes gets delayed because of the weather or because of council regulations. And you see, but eventually it happens. Eventually it sort of comes. You don't need to rush it. Just let it happen. And be agreeable and be patient. And that degree of patience became very important to me when you are, again, meditating, because we have all these stages of meditation which monks like me keep talking about, and especially the really interesting and juicy ones like nimittas and the bliss better than sex and jhanas and seeing everything disappear and amazing stuff you know, happening in your meditation. Wow, this is what I want. Okay, but you have to be very patient. You have to learn how to wait in the correct way. And that's where I sort of discerned two types of waiting. This is not from the suttas, this is just you know, your own insights. And it's those two types of waiting made a huge difference in my meditation, also being able to teach others. And the two types of waiting, you know, first of all, waiting in the future waiting for something to happen. And of course, when you wait for something to happen, it never happens. That's the wrong type of kanti. It is a very refined, but very insidious and dangerous form of desire, and craving, and wanting, and control. Waiting for something to happen. And I remember as, <laughs> as a student, and I go with my girlfriend to the Edinburgh Festival and seeing one of the early performances of Waiting for Godot by Samuel Beckett. And that was just uh, a very famous play, it became very, very well known afterwards, where these guys were waiting for God to arrive, and oh, Godot at the station, basically waiting for God to appear. And it was always about that impatience. 
And of course it never happens, it never arrives. And for many people in their life, that's what life is about, waiting for something which never arrives. Waiting for the great relationship, waiting for the amazing moment of your life when you know, you're respected, the moment when you win the tournament. Always waiting for this moment and it never comes. And that's just the same as the donkey waiting for the carrot, rushing after it, it never arrives. And so sometimes that, that simile in that play, Waiting for Godot, was a very powerful metaphor for life. We always wait for something to happen, waiting in the future, and it never happens at all. And we live our life unfulfilled, always just looking into the future, and never achieving anything, never getting anything, never appreciating anything. And you find that happens in meditation so often. You know, the things start to happen and we're waiting for, say, the beautiful breath to arrive. We're waiting in the future. Sometimes nimittas arrive in the mind and we think, yes, it's coming now, it's going to center itself, it's going to become bright. Please be aware and recognize how much in one's meditation one is waiting for something to happen. And that is a problem. That's the wrong type of patience. That's a desire, that's a craving, that's a control which messes up the whole process of meditation. And the opposite for waiting in the future is waiting in the present. It's a totally different idea, totally different perception. So you've not got any idea of what's going to happen next. There's no concept of what I will do next, or even what I'm doing now. It's just being here, waiting in this moment, and consenting to this moment to be what it is, rather than wanting it to be different, which is waiting in the, in the future, waiting for something to change, waiting for something to happen, waiting to get what you want. That's all in the future. But if you wait in the present moment, consenting, accepting this moment, you see you're overcoming, letting go, abandoning, renouncing any source of desire. You are now having the ability to develop stillness. You're not agitating anything. Every time you wait for something to happen, otherwise called expectation, you agitate the mind, disturb it, prevent the thing which you want happening at all. But when we learn how to wait in this moment, to be really patient by consenting to this moment to be and by allowing the path to happen at its own pace, then we find that we know how to meditate. All we do is wait in this moment. However, if you wait for something to happen, you'll be waiting for the whole rains retreat and nothing will happen at all. And you go home or you go to some other monastery afterwards and think, oh, my goodness, what a waste of time. You may get some little things to try and please yourself, but the real big, uh, the big experiences which are available for anyone who practices properly, just you don't get them, you don't see them, you don't enjoy them, because you've been looking in the wrong place. So when we learn how to wait in this moment, and you get the idea of what I mean, just being in this moment, consenting to it, agreeing to it, no matter what it is, you see that that is real patience.
That is Kanti. And you'll find that if you just let this moment be, allow it to be, put all your attention on it, this is important. It's the other thing I've been teaching people at the during the interviews. I said this a couple of weeks ago, but still it's so powerful. Empress three questions. This moment, which is right in front of you, what is in front of your conscious, what you're aware of, the object of your meditation right now. And I don't, I'm not talking about the breath or nimittas or metta or, or kasinas. Whatever it is you are aware of right now, give it importance. It's the most important thing in the world, the thing right in front of you. Now the most important time, the most important thing to do is to be kind, to be caring for this moment. That's otherwise known as patience. This moment, you're waiting on it. And I like the idea also, I know it's not really etymologically valid, but the idea of a waiter at a restaurant. A waiter at a restaurant doesn't just you know, look at the table, actually cares about the customers. They want to get a tip afterwards. And if they know, look out and find out what the customer wants, and if they haven't got enough salt or enough soy sauce or something, they can actually just dive in there pretty quickly and just get the soy sauce for them or whatever it is they want. You know, when they realize they want the next course, you know, they're on the job straight away because they're caring for their clients. And if they are caring for their clients, they get the great reward afterwards. So the idea of a waiter at a restaurant, at a table, that's also the idea I have when I practice waiting in this moment. Or like waiting on this moment, caring for it, seeing what it needs. With that kindness, giving it importance, now's the only time, then that is another part of patience. And of course you see how powerfully it works. If you give something importance, you're encouraging, enhancing mindfulness. We all know that mindfulness is important, people speak a lot about it, but the thing which they don't really emphasize with mindfulness is how to make it happen and how to strengthen it and how to, to make it really, really strong and also, lastly, where to place that mindfulness, what to be mindful of. But first of all, how to grow that mindfulness and importance, giving things importance, the thing right in front of you is the most important. You can see that that importance, that adding value to what you're experiencing is a great um, cause for strong mindfulness. If it's not important, you're not really aware. It's just like when people may be just walking through the forest and they may be half asleep, you know, daydreaming. You see a snake and you wake up straight away. I remember when I was a young monk, Getting up early in the morning, you know, usually just dull because you weren't sleeping so much. You know, three o'clock in the morning we had to get up, used to go to bed about 10.30, trying to do four and a half hours sleep at night. And usually in the morning I was really, really dull. But one morning I was fully awake. And that was because I got up at three o'clock in the morning when the bell went, you know, put on my anxa and realized there was something on it. And I looked and it was a centipede, right on my chest. And those centipedes in Thailand, they're not that like the centipedes over in Australia. They are very aggressive. And I remember uh, one of the, who was it? It was Christopher Titmus when he was a monk. He told me 
that he once got bitten by a scorpion on the usually on the foot and he said it was the worst night of his whole life he'd never experienced so much pain he was banging his head against the wall all night it hurt so badly and that's what i remembered and thought of when i saw this scorpion this uh, centipede a big one you know on my chest on my skin and it's amazing just how you wake up really quickly that's better than a cup of coffee I was fully alert. <laughs> Why? Because it was important. Of course, you know, I always have good karma. So I just very, very gently took off my anxiety. And somehow or other, the centipede had actually just, you know, left my skin and got onto the cloth. So it never bit me, thank goodness. Because that, you know, right in your chest, above your heart, that might have been very dangerous. But anyway, that was a story from my past. But it certainly shows that when something's really important, you really wake up. You've got heaps of mindfulness. And so you can do that by just giving mindfulness to this moment, waiting on this moment. And for goodness sake, don't give importance to the future of what you're going to get next or what you expect next. That's waiting in the future. And that really destroys mindfulness. It destroys the... Um, the stillness, it destroys any success in meditation. So we learn how to be in this moment, give this moment importance no matter what it is. And those are the causes for the future development of good meditation. I remember years ago I started t talking about meditation karma. You know, trying to get the Buddha's teachings, you know, which everybody practices in, or at least they know about in their daily lives, and try and see how that applies to the practice of meditation. Meditation karma. You know, you do make karma right now in the meditation. These are the causes for deep meditation in the future. But you put that effort into now. You know, the, not so much effort, but the attitude. Right now, good meditation karma right now. And you know if you make good meditation karma right now, you have faith in this cause and effect thing called karma and its results. You know in the future you're going to get good meditation. So I know from many years of practice, if I make peace, be kind, be gentle right now, that is the most skillful meditation karma I can do right now. And I do that as much as possible, every moment. I'm patient in this moment, just making peace with this moment. Another word for Kanti. Being kind to it, being gentle with this moment. Accepting this moment. Agreeing to it, consenting to it. And when I'm making such beautiful good karma in this moment, it doesn't matter what I'm consenting to, what I'm at peace with, what I'm being kind to. I am creating the good causes for future peace, for future stillness, for future nimittas and jhanas and everything. So even if it's a thought going through your mind, even an unmonkish thought going through your mind, if you can just separate yourself a little bit and just make peace with it, be kind to it, be gentle, not indulging, but being at peace with it, being kind to it, being gentle with it, then by that good karma right now to whatever you're experiencing in this moment, if you do it properly, you know that's going to lead to peace and stillness later on in your meditation. And my goodness, it does. So if I want jhanas, 
If I want great nimitas or whatever else, I know its causes. And its causes is what I'm doing right now. Now is the only time you have. It's, this is where karma is made. Meditation karma is made right now. So I'm waiting on this moment, making as good karma as I possibly can in this very moment. And I say good karma because karma is intention. Chaitanahang karmangwadami, said the Buddha. And no right intention. Second factor of the Eightfold Path, make peace, be kind, be gentle. Or maybe, if you want to um, pick me up on that, it's actually renouncing instead of making peace. Letting go of control, letting go of ownership. That's called renouncing. Being kind, being gentle. The three samasankapas, the three right intentions. So that's what I do every moment in my meditation. That's how I wait on this moment. And that's what I understand as kanti. Patience in this moment. And I also brought this up because sometimes I was talking uh, last Saturday night about some of the uh, upakalesas, some of the problems when nimittas do eventually arise in your meditations. And one of those was fear, which comes up. And how do we overcome that fear? Patience. Kanti. Waiting on the moment. Because all fear is a perception of the future. What might happen to me next? When you have fear, you're not waiting in the moment anymore. You're waiting in the future. Usually with a bit of negativity, waiting for something terrible to happen. And of course the other of the upikalesas, which I often say is you know, the twin, the two big enemies to getting into the nimittas and the jhanas, are the, um, the excitement. So fear is waiting in the future with something negative in mind, and excitement is waiting in the future with something positive in mind, something beautiful in mind. Yes, it's going to happen. But both are waiting in the future. Fear and excitement. The two big upikalesas when nimittas start, which stop you developing them and taking them into jhanas. But if you can understand what real kanti is, you're waiting in this moment or waiting on this moment, not waiting in the future, not expecting anything, not wanting something to happen, not looking anywhere outside of this moment. And your attention is making sure you're making good karma in this moment, letting go of ownership, nekama, renouncing, being kind, being gentle. That's all you do. Nothing more than that. If you don't remember that, this is the most important moment. Be kind, right now. The Empress three questions. On this, whatever's happening to you, especially the nimitta, and no perception at all of the future, no waiting in the future, no waiting for something to happen. And if you can understand what I mean, fear and excitement just cannot come up. They're not part of the agenda anymore. They just don't appear. The reason is because no more are you waiting in the future. You have real kanti. Accepting this moment. Just being with it, giving it importance.
agreeing to it. And then you find you are with this moment. When you're with this moment, agreeing to it, being with it, you find it, then it develops. You're making the good karma, and it's a good karma which takes you into the future and makes this of these great experiences happen. If you can trust in the karma of meditation, as I hope you trust in the karma of life, always doing good things and you come out well in the end, but especially in meditation. I understand the law of karma in meditation, and it's a great thing because it stops you always having to do things. You realize that cause and effect, that's why we try and do things. We think that if I can only do this and do that, then the effect, the goal will come to me. But it never does. You get frustrated because the doing, if you want to call it a doing, is just making peace, being kind, being gentle. That's the only thing we ever do. That is the good karma. That is the action, if you want to call it an action. That is the effort, if you want to call it an effort. That's the virya, if you want to call it the striving, just to give up ownership, Naykamah, just be kind, be gentle in this moment, waiting on this moment with such a good karma attitude. And then things happen. Because a lot of time people think, if I don't do anything, nothing will happen. I'll just stay here, tired, sleepy for the rest of the range retreat, nothing will happen, wasting my time totally. Or I'll just have all these fantasies and thoughts. If I don't stop them, they'll get worse. You try to stop them before, and they still get worse. But you try this other way, good meditation karma. So you have a stupid thought going through your mind, let go of ownership of it. Nay karma, renounce. Renounce control. That doesn't mean chasing it away. Because if you think you're going to chase it away, that means like you own it, you control it. That's not nekama. That's ownership. So instead, we have stupid thought comes in the mind. We have, this is not mine, none of my business. It's nekama, renouncing control. Being kind, being gentle. And you know you're making good meditation karma. And it works. If you do it properly, after a little while, all those thoughts, they vanish. They don't need to be there anymore. The cause for those thoughts has been undermined. So they stop. You are still. Why are you still? Because you you made the causes for stillness. Letting go. Being kind. Being gentle. You've waited on this moment. I waited on this moment too, waited on this moment too, waited on this moment too. And you know you'll get the tip. And you're using the waiter simile. You made the causes and you find your mind becomes still and peaceful and joyful. And then you start to realize that, you know, why people don't get success in meditation is because they're doing it the wrong way. And nothing to do with watching the breath or where you watch the breath or do we pass in the world, samatha or metta or all this other stuff. It's how you do it causes success or causes frustration. And so if one can wait in this moment, wait on this moment, every moment, you'll understand why the Buddha said, Kanti Paramangtapotitika is the most profound the excellent spiritual practice.
because it works. It's not being lazy. It's not just sitting down and and uh, vegetating. It's not just um, oh, what's the word I was looking for? Just um, getting nowhere. It's actually it's how the path works. So as you're waiting in this moment, waiting on this moment, not waiting in the future, you find because you're making the good karma, the content of this present moment develops all by itself. As I simile of the thousand petal lotus, the lotus starts to open. The stages of meditation start to happen. The carrot comes towards you in the simile of the of the donkey chasing the carrot when the donkey stops. The mango falls from the tree in Ajahn Chah's simile of sitting very still under the mango tree. All these things happen because you are waiting in this moment, not waiting in the future. You are making peace, being kind, being gentle. You're making the good karma. The results of that good karma have to come. The fruit falls. The carrot comes into your mouth. Nimitas come. And once you start to experience these things, once you get the message, get the idea, at last you know how to meditate. And you have the greatest time of your life. You notice, all I need to do is put the courses in place. Wait in this moment, and I'm not going to wait in the future at all. That is verboten. We know that that is a danger. No expectation. So there's been no fear, and there'll be no excitement. Because that's all you're waiting in the future. You're waiting for something to happen. And of course it's, you know, it's understandable why people wait for things to happen. They hear monks like me talk about all these incredible things which happen in meditation, blisses and amazing sort of lights and stuff which happen and really, really just so much uh, happiness and so much stillness. And, and you read in the suttas about the jhanas and all that sort of stuff. But please, you can understand how that can give rise to desire. And that can make you, when you get very close, lose the plot and start waiting in the future instead of waiting in the moment. But, if you really get into remembering what I'm talking about this evening, if my brainwashing works, it means that when these things start to happen to you, lights start to happen, Pity, sukha, joy and happiness start to arise in your meditation. Things start to happen. You remember, wait in this moment. Wait on this moment. And don't wait in the future for something to happen. Even though you think it's going to happen, that Godot is about to come into the train station and waiting for Godot. You've lost it. Let that one go. And wait in this moment. And that is the powerful, the best part, as far as I know, of this contentment, this um, patience, the ability to wait in the moment and never in the future. And you can do that for the rest of your monastic life as well. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but don't wait for the morning to happen. Don't even wait for you know, the time of your bedtime to happen. Always wait in this moment, the place where the action is, and then you'll have a very peaceful, happy life.
You've waited long enough. The end of the talk. And the mind wife ties out a grand Dhamma Oh, God.